We're now going to be reading another encouraging passage from Scripture, one that we may be familiar with at the end of Romans chapter 8. Let's turn to Romans chapter 8, and we'll be reading verses 31 to 39. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. It says, Paul writing, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he also not with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against Christ God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who, is, who died more than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written? For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our sermon this morning is coming from 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 41 to 46. That's 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 41 to 46. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. And he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, Behold, a little cloud, like a man's hand, is rising from the sea. And he said, Go up, say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment, and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. You can see here that we're beginning in the middle of a story. And if you remember from the previous passages, what that story has been, actually the last time I was here, we looked at the previous passage, Elijah on the top of Mount Carmel. Remember what's happening there. It's that all of Israel is turning away from the Lord, and God has called Elijah to come and to bring his people back to him. So Elijah gathers all the people, and he gathers all those false priests of Baal on the top of Carmel for a showdown. And as they are there, the priests of Baal, they try to get their God to answer. Nothing happens. And Elijah just prays a simple prayer, and fire falls from heaven, burns up the sacrifice, and shows the people that the Lord 
He is God. That's what just happened. Where we are, we're picking up right after this event on the top of Mount Carmel. But as we look at this passage together, I want to I just start with a question. What do you think you find more exciting? What do you think you find more amazing, maybe? That, that fire from heaven on Mount Carmel? Or the description of this rain on the fields of Israel? Which is more exciting? Honest answer here. I think if you're anything like me, it's, it's probably the fire from heaven, right? That was dramatic. That was amazing. And often we just kind of stop the story there. But in reality, it's not just enough for that fire from heaven to fall. We need the rain from heaven. We need the blessing that God is going to send. And actually, this passage here, the rain falling from heaven, also is showing us about God, his power, and his presence for his people. Just think about it. This rain has not come for over three years. There's been a drought for three years. And why? We know because his people have sinned. God is actually holding that rain back to teach his people to come back to him, to show them that they need repentance. And now that they actually have repented, now that they have turned back to him, he turns his face to them and he blesses them. He blesses them with the rain from heaven. But how does that blessing come? Did you notice in the passage? The blessing comes through the faithful prayer of one man, of Elijah, praying for the people of God. And that fact actually shows us the main point of this passage, that God's blessing for his people comes through a faithful intercessor. Elijah in this passage... And actually, as the Bible shows us as a whole, the blessing of God comes through Christ. So this passage is teaching us that the blessing of God comes through a faithful intercessor, Elijah, and then more fully in Christ. So we look at this passage, we're going to see three simple things. We're going to see confidence in God's blessing in verse 41. We're going to see praying for God's blessing in 42 to 44. And finally, the challenge of God's blessing in 45 to 46. Now, before we even get into the details, I used big word just earlier. I, I said an intercessor. Now, I used that word very intentionally, but what does it mean? What, what is an intercessor? Maybe another word, what is intercession? What, what do I mean by that? One well, intercessor is someone who represents me before God. Here I am, here is God, and here is my intercessor. And what he's doing for me is he is representing me before God. He is praying to me before God. In the Old Testament as a whole, there are certain people that God chose to give them that special role. Think about the priests. What are the priests doing? Well, they are representing the people to God. And we actually have met another man here, Elijah, the prophet, who is given that same role. One of his jobs is to represent the people to God. He is praying to God for them, and he is also proclaiming God's word back to them. So that's what Elijah is doing. And as we open the passage, we see that Elijah has great confidence in God's blessing. We see that in verse 41. 
Verse 41 picks up right where verse 40 is left off. Down by the brook Kidron with the bodies of the false prophets of Baal. And as Elijah looks and as he sees the evidence of the forgiveness of God, as he looks up at the top of Mount Carmel and he sees that altar that has been burned by fire, and now as he looks down into the valley and he sees the evidence of the faith and obedience of people and the dead prophets, as Elijah sees these things now, he turns right to Ahab and he says, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the rushing of rain. Now, if you were standing there when Elijah said this, and kind of, you looked up and it was a clear blue sky, and you kind of listened, you said, um, Elijah, you hear the sound of the rushing of rain? I don't see, I don't hear anything. Um, what would you have thought of Elijah? Proud, maybe? Overconfident? Definitely not the best weather forecaster. Um, but Elijah... Elijah speaks with confidence because he has every right to be confident because he has God's word. Elijah was relying on God's promise to send the rain as he speaks to, as he speaks to Ahab. That's actually how this chapter began in, in chapter 18, verse 1. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go show yourself to Ahab and what? I will send rain on the earth. I will. No doubt in Elijah's mind that God will send rain. He has that promise, but actually he's got another promise too. If you remember way back when Solomon dedicated the temple, this is how he prayed. This is how God actually answers his prayer. He says, when I shut up the heavens, this is God speaking, when I shut up the heavens so there is no rain, that's the situation Israel's in right now, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. That's exactly what is happening on Carmel. The people have turned back to God and it's time now for God to turn back to them and to heal their land. So as Elijah speaks to Ahab here, he isn't being self-confident. He isn't just taking guesses at what he thinks might happen. As God's prophet, Elijah is relying on God's word. He is relying on God's promise. I really think there's a lesson for us as well. You know, we're not prophets, right? We're not Elijah. We don't have that same direct communication from God. We cannot say, I know what God's plan for your life is. Anyone ever told you that? We can't say that. We also can't say, you know, God told me, fill in the blank. We we can't say that. But we have the sure and certain promises of God in Scripture. And as you read your Bible, you can be confident in those very same promises. Simple example. We read about it. Do all things work together for good for believers? Do all things really work together for good for you? Yes, they do. That is a promise that you can take to the bank. In your situation, that will be true. It might be hard to see, but we can actually have the same confidence that Elijah has in God's word. 
So we see in this opening verse then that Elijah is confident. He is confident that God will indeed bring the blessing that he himself has promised. But what I find so amazing about this passage is how God chooses to bring that blessing. He brings the promised blessing through the persistent prayers of Elijah. Look then second at praying for God's blessing in verses 42 to 44. You might think after you get to the end of verse 41 that Elijah's work actually now is is all finished, right? He's defeated the prophets of Baal and he's prophesied about the coming blessing of God. Now he can just go home and wait to see it happen, right? But that's not at all what happens. Ahab goes to feast and Elijah climbs right back up to the very top of Mount Carmel. And as he's there, he bows himself down on the ground puts his face between his knees, and he prays. Now, you'll notice in this verse that it doesn't actually say that he's praying, right? You don't see that word there. But he is bowing down before God. His whole body language is the language of prayer. Actually, later in the Bible in James, James chapter 5, James says that Elijah here is clearly praying for the rain to come. So then what we have in verses 42 to 44 is Elijah praying to God to bring the rain, to bring that promised blessing. Now, as we look at Elijah's prayer here, I think there are many lessons for our own prayers. I just just mentioned James chapter 5, right? James actually uses this very passage here to guide us in our prayers. He says, the prayer of a righteous man has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, right here, and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. So it is good and right for us to look at Elijah's prayer here and to learn from what he does. But even as we focus on Elijah, there's something bigger going on. And I want us to keep that bigger picture in mind as well. Elijah is not just an everyman. He's not just anybody, right? He is actually God's prophet, God's messenger sent to his people. And as a prophet, Elijah has a special role. Remember, he speaks for God to the people, and then he represents the people back to God. So what we see here then is Elijah praying as the prophet, praying for the people. Elijah is an intercessor. But as Elijah is a prophet, as he's praying for the people, Elijah is pointing us forward to Jesus Christ. He's actually pointing forward to our ultimate intercessor. So even as we look at the details of this prayer, I want you to see where we're going. We're going to see Jesus Christ. Keep that in mind. But just for the moment, let's focus on Elijah's prayer. I think this prayer teaches us a number of things. And the first one, just immediately, is the need for prayer. Elijah actually needs to pray for God to answer and send the blessing. Have you ever wondered why you need to pray if God has already promised to do something? I think it's a very common thing that we think about. I certainly had. I mean, if God is going to do it, why do I need to pray for it then? What, What am I doing? And Elijah, is, he's in a very similar situation. Again, he's 
got the clear promise of God, and yet there's the need for Elijah's prayer. Elijah prays and we pray because God has chosen to use our prayers as he works. We're, we're not praying to get God to do something that he wasn't already planning to do, right? We're not planning, or we're not praying to kind of you know, twist God's arm and say, hey, I, I got you now and now you got to do what I'm saying. No, no, we're not doing that. We are praying. We know God will actually answer. God actually delights to answer our prayers. That's an amazing fact that God delights to hear from you and then to turn and to answer you as well. And God often chooses, graciously chooses to work in response to our prayers. It really is amazing to realize that God has given us the great privilege to be part of his plan. I think it's Spurgeon who said that our prayers are like the, one of the gears in God's work of providence. If you took that gear out, there'd be a problem, right? God is actually giving us a central place in his plan. That's amazing, the need for prayer. But also notice that Elijah, as he prays, the second thing that we see is that Elijah prays according to God's promise. Okay, Again, Elijah knows what God has promised, that the rain is coming, but then he, he doesn't just sit on that promise. No, Elijah takes that promise from God and he turns it into prayer. You can almost hear his words, right? God, you promised rain, right? Bring rain. Please bring your rain. Again, I think that's a great lesson for us that we need to take God's word, take God's promise, take those scriptures and use it in our prayers. Another simple example, do you pray for holiness in your life? I hope that you do. But consider praying this way, using the, you know, the words of Philippians chapter 2. Help me to work out my salvation in this particular area of my life. Help me to work out my salvation here because why because i know that you are the one who is working in me that is taking god's promise for you and using it in your prayer to him so elijah prays according to god's promise it's also important to see that elijah prays according to the promise not according to the circumstances not just what he sees this principle comes out very clearly as you look at elijah's prayer he prays seven times for the exact same thing. I'd be tempted maybe after the first time to think maybe God hasn't heard me. Maybe I need to, maybe I need to change my prayer. Maybe it wasn't a good enough prayer. That's actually going back to that kind of twisting God's arm. You're trying to make it, trying to make God do something for you. Elijah prays God's word and he does not give up even when the circumstances don't look like God is actually answering him. But he does not pray on the, based on the circumstances. He prays according to God's promise. Think about what he's praying for. There's this, the promise that he has that God will bring rain, and there's also the bigger promises we see in Scripture. Psalm 145, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. That promise means that even as Elijah looks up and he sees the blue sky again, that promise means that God really has heard his prayer. He really has heard Elijah. And Elijah, knowing that promise, gives him the strength to keep praying. Not just the circumstances, 
but praying according to the promise. Again, have you ever found yourself in a similar situation to Elijah, praying for something when God doesn't seem to be answering? We are tempted then to respond to the circumstances, maybe just to give up praying. Doesn't look like God's answering, so I'll just stop. Or again, maybe trying to change our prayer, maybe saying it a different way so that we know this time that God will hear and answer us. But Elijah keeps praying the same promise of God because he is sure that that promise is true and that it is true for him. And that can be a takeaway lesson for us. We can have that same confidence to be praying. And when we pray according to God's will, when we pray his promises, that God has heard us and he will answer us. We can also actually see, fourthly, that, that Elijah prays persistently. We see that in that same fact, that he says, comes back and he says, go again to his servant. Seven times, Elijah is on his knees praying persistently. And actually, this, this kind of back and forth, sending the servant, coming back, nothing. Sending the servant, coming back. That's actually the real tension of the story, because is God going to answer Elijah? Do you feel that? But we know it, right? Because we can just read it in a few seconds. We know that he answers. Elijah doesn't know that yet as he's on his knees praying. Elijah prays seven times. Then he sends his servant seven times. And he comes back seven times. Nothing. Not a cloud in the sky. No cloud. No rain. Each and every time that he prays. And yet, Elijah has that clear promise. He knows what's going to happen. And it's that promise that keeps Elijah on his knees. Elijah is praying persistently. It's amazing to see that God is actually teaching Elijah a lesson here. He is actually teaching him to wait for him. God waits to answer. Not because he's a meanie, right? He's not delighting in Elijah's questions about why he's not answering. And he's not waiting because he's distracted. If you think about from the previous passage, remember Baal. He's not like Baal. Elijah says, what happened to your God? Did he go away on vacation? Is he somewhere else? That's not God here, no. God actually has shown. He's shown Elijah that he can and does sometimes answer prayer immediately. Elijah prayed and boom, fire fell from heaven. Just a few hours earlier. And here's Elijah praying the same way and God waits. God has his own reasons for waiting to answer Elijah, and he has his own reasons for having us wait for his answer as well. Again, if you had times when you are praying, and you're praying according to God's will, you know that you're praying the right way. You're praying for something God has told you to pray for. God doesn't seem to be answering. I mean, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know that feeling. You know that this is true. Why does God wait to answer us? Isn't that a question we want answered? Why does he sometimes wait to answer us? Sometimes, sometimes it's to increase our faith, to grow in our trust for him as we wait. Sometimes it's also to remind us of, our, of his grace because God answers our prayers because he's gracious, not because we ask the right number of times or say the exact right words. Sometimes he teaches us about his grace. And sometimes God never tells us why. I think that's the hardest answer, that God sometimes does not tell us why he waits to answer our prayer. But God is always working for his glory and for our good, even in his silence. 
That's something that Elijah knew and that we can know as well. Do not give up on praying persistently. As I read this passage about Elijah praying here and praying persistently, I thought of the example of George Mueller. You may remember him. He was living in England in the 1800s, and he's famous for having a ministry of prayer. He had orphans come and live in the homes that he established, and he, he prayed for their provision. But actually, there's another way that he prayed persistently, and this story has always stuck out for me. George Mueller prayed for 52 years for five specific people to be saved. He prayed, in his own words, he prayed every day for their salvation. And one by one, each one of the five came to Christ. The promise was that God will bring his people to himself. And he, George Mueller, took that promise and he prayed it persistently. And God answered that prayer. The last one of his friends became a Christian after his death. So he didn't even get to see his prayers getting answered. But he prayed persistently, and God answered his prayer. Years of persistent prayer. Elijah here only has to wait a short time, right? As, as Elijah prays, as he's praying, each time he sends his servant away, he is hoping for that good report. Just something, God, give me something so I know that you're answering. And then at that seventh time when his servant comes back, he says, behold, a little cloud, like a man's hand, tiny, out there over the ocean. It's coming from the sea. Just a little cloud. But in that cloud, Elijah sees the answer to his prayer. He knows what's going to happen next. And Elijah, he, you show, look at here, verse 44. What's his immediate response? And he said, go up and say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. Little cloud, Ahab, you'd better run. Rain is coming. That rain that's coming, that, that promise of God being answered, sets up our final point, really the challenge of God's blessing in verses 45 to 46. God answers Elijah's prayer, and he answers Elijah's prayer in dramatic fashion. That blue sky with not a cloud in sight, quickly becomes filled with storm clouds and the rain pours down. And we are meant to be in awe of what is happening here. This is not one of those kind of gray, overcast days with a little bit of drizzle. This is a dramatic thunderstorm. And it's a thunderstorm. It's fitting because God is doing more. He's doing more than just sending rain on his people. By sending that rain and sending it in the way he does, he is actually reminding the people of his presence again. He shows his majesty in bringing the storm. So the rain falls, and Ahab rides, and Elijah runs. Did you see that in verse 46? And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. God empowers Elijah here for an incredible action. Elijah, just think about it. Elijah is running faster than Ahab's horses all the way from Mount Carmel down to Jezreel. That's, that's like between 17 and 18 miles. That is a long, long run. 
This, this last act, that act of running, that's really the last of God's amazing acts of what is a very amazing day. There was fire, there was rain, and now there's running. But, but why? Isn't this a strange event here? Why is, Ahab run, why is Ahab following Elijah all the way? What is the significance of this? I'll, I'll admit, I'm not entirely sure. People writing about this verse have come to different conclusions, but I do think some of the significance of what is happening here is actually who Ahab is and who Elijah is. Remember, Ahab is the king and Elijah is the prophet. So what we have here as they're racing to Jezreel is the prophet leading the king all the way back to the city. It's almost like this whole trip is really meant to be a picture to Ahab and to Israel about what they should be doing. They should be following God's prophet and God's word. Ahab, Ahab has not been doing this at any stage of his life. And even in this passage here, we're left with some serious doubts about Ahab's faith. Notice that before on Mount Carmel, the people fell down and they confessed God to be the Lord. Ahab here, completely silent. He doesn't say anything in this passage. That silence is concerning. It's even condemning. Ahab has seen the mighty acts of God. He feels the rain pounding down on him. He must know that it's God who did this. And yet he's silent. There is no confession of faith. No obvious change in his life in this entire passage. We're left at the end of this journey wondering if Ahab has really gotten the message and repented. And sadly, as the rest of the book shows, Ahab hasn't. So even in this last detail of the running, God is contrasting faithful Elijah, his prophet, with faithless Ahab, the king. If I can just stop here for a moment and say this, this is concerning And this should be concerning for us. There are many who see what God has done. Could even be you today who see what God has done, who see what God has done in Jesus Christ. And yet you can be just like Ahab. It's nice to know your life is not changed. You do not confess Jesus Christ with your mouth and believe in him in your heart and actually be saved. Do not be like Ahab. Do not turn your back on the grace of God as he calls you once again this morning to serve Christ. But even as we look at Christ, as he calls us to serve him, Christ is actually here in this passage too because Christ is the greater Elijah. What is Elijah doing here? Elijah is praying for God's blessing on the people, but that's exactly what Christ is doing too. Christ is interceding for his people. He is interceding for you and me right now. Think about the comfort and the power that we have knowing that Christ is praying for us. Just, just for instance, stop and think about the difference between Elijah and Christ, or even Christ and you. How much better are Christ's prayers than Elijah's prayers could ever be? Or that your prayer and my prayer can be for one another. Christ's prayers are so much better for us. Why? Remember what James said? The prayer of a righteous man. It accomplishes much, right? 
we have the prayer not just of a righteous man like Elijah, we have the prayer of the righteous man himself, Jesus Christ praying for us. But how is he praying for us? What is he saying when he's in heaven? Well, he didn't wait to get to heaven to pray for us. One example of the work of Christ in praying for us is when he was right here on earth. You can read one of his prayers in John chapter 17. Prayer is often called the high priestly prayer. An amazing prayer, bringing our deepest needs before his Father. So he prayed for us even while he was here. And now that he's in heaven, he is praying for us constantly. He continually intercedes for us with the Father. We read from that in Romans 8. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God doing what? Who is interceding for us. For another passage, Hebrews 7, 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the othermost those who draw near to God through him. That's us. He's able to save us. Why? Since he always lives to make intercession. So Christ right now is in heaven interceding with his Father for you and for me. What is he praying for? What are the things that we need? Well, Christ is always reminding his Father of his sacrifice. He's saying, look to the cross. Look to the cross to see that sin being paid for and that sinner being justified. Christ reminds his Father of his sacrifice. But also, Christ then, through his Spirit, is bringing our requests to his Father. That's part of his prayer for us. He's taking the things that we need and that we are praying for and giving them to his Father. And Christ is also then praying so that the blessings that we need come to us. We began this service looking at God's salutation to us, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are foundational blessings that each one of us needs and those are blessings that come through Christ's prayer for you. Christ in his death, his resurrection, his ascension, as he sits at the right hand of his Father, he is praying for all the spiritual blessings that you need. And with Christ and by Christ, we are then given all of those blessings. Again, we read from Romans 8, God who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Christ is praying that you would have the blessings that you need. As we, as we reflect on this reality that Christ himself, not just a mere man, but Christ himself is praying for us, take comfort and rejoice in that. Rejoice in God's continued work in Christ for you as he prays for you to his Father. Let me also just leave you with this thought. When you are discouraged in your prayers, when you want to be like Elijah, you want to be like Christ, but you don't feel like it. When you and I pray, we can rely on God's promise, right? We can rely on the fact that Christ prays for you and I. So when we don't feel like praying, Christ is praying for you. When we don't feel like praying, remember that the Holy Spirit is interceding. He's praying with groanings too deep for words to take what you have said and to give it to God our Father. Another way to say it is God himself helps us pray to him. That is amazing truth to see from this passage.
Now as we close this morning, just take a deep breath and reflect. This whole chapter, chapter 18, has been amazing. What a day for Israel and Elijah. This day must have been. They experienced firsthand that fire of forgiveness and of judgment, remember? But now, at the end of the passage, they've experienced firsthand the reign of blessing. And what they've experienced is what every believer, every one of us who is following Christ, we know that very same experience. We have come to Christ for forgiveness of all of our sins. That judgment has fallen on Christ and not on us. And then and only then we can receive all the blessings of belonging to God. Forgiveness first and then blessing. That is the only way. But we receive both. We receive forgiveness and we receive blessing from our God because that one and same Christ, that one Christ, the one same person who died for you to bring salvation is the same one who secures for you in his work everything, all the blessings. This passage, this truth here is well worth praising God for and praying to him. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Lord, it's good to see your work. And your work did not end in the days of Elijah as he prayed for your blessing. Your work didn't end with your people back then as you forgave their sins and you actually gave them exactly what they need. That your work is now. And it's for us and it's for us in Christ that we can now stand before you and pray knowing that Christ prays for us. And that you will bless us, not because we are so great, but because Christ is great. That our elder brother has secured everything that we need. And that we can now pray with confidence for all of our needs, knowing that you will hear and you will bless us. Thank you again for the work of Christ. And we pray that in the week ahead, we would come to you to seek your face and to know that you will bless us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.